Welcome to our next interview on Benchon Talks Shit with a friend of mine, Bonnie Wright, who is, I'm going to let her do an intro on herself because I love when people share their own, you know, who they are, but she's an actress, writer, producer, director, and now author of Go Gently, which is actionable steps to nurture yourself on the planet. It's such an incredible, I went to that, to the reading in New York City a long time ago, um, and that it was such an incredible book that shares really it's a gentle approach to climate activism and how we can all start right where we are to make powerful, impactful change. And I just love the book so much because I feel like this topic, you know, we all want to, for the most part, maybe not all, but many of us want to help and make a change, but it can feel so daunting and overwhelming. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to writing this amazing book. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's lovely to be in conversation with you. And yeah, a bit about myself. I've always been in the world of storytelling. From a young age, I started acting and kind of was launched into the world of filmmaking and learned so much and fell in love with the art of filmmaking and all the, the teamwork and collaboration that goes into storytelling. I just became so fascinated in and that kind of led me to go to film school when I went to college and have always been interested in, yeah, I guess, noticing where stories show up in the world and seeing how kind of I like to make sense of them and amplify certain messages. And when it came to writing my book, you know, I had already been probably spending the last maybe almost seven years, you know, exploring my own ways that I could participate more in in the climate crisis and be part of the climate movement and understand more how my day-to-day actions kind of related to these larger, wider topics that we can often read about in headlines of the news, but understand where we fit within that kind of scale. Sometimes it can be hard to comprehend. So I've always been very interested in, I guess, kind of balancing that kind of sort of more front-facing activism that involves working with organizations and looking at policies and things like that, and then balancing that with my kind of more internal life and how I can feel more connected to my actions. And the book, I realized, that's where the book is really in that intimate space of, of the things you can be implementing in your day-to-day life. I feel like there are a lot of books and documentaries on kind of the reality of the crisis, but I kind of wanted to make a more personal guidebook and resource for people who sort of want to start but don't know where to begin and sometimes can be so worried that they'll do the wrong thing or not be perfect and not start at all. So the book is really looking at kind of celebrating that imperfect in-process action that needs us all to show up and learn as we go rather than not show up at all. Yeah, what I loved about your book is that each part where you share about what's actually happening in the world in terms of climate crisis, you really give a set of action steps that we can take. So it's not just like you have to do this or you have to do that. It's very much like, here's the options of how you can tackle this particular issue. And I remember when I was reading, I was like, oh, that one feels really accessible versus just what you said about having awareness of what's going on because we can watch a documentary or watch a movie or listen to something and then we kind of get off of it and we're like, oh shit, okay, now what? That's what I loved about your book. It's so approachable. So what was that first step that you personally made, like the tiny little step that you personally decided to make to start making changes in your life, essentially? Yeah, I guess my way into the big, big topic of the climate crisis was always sort of the health of our oceans. It's always a landscape that I've experienced a lot of joy from, coastal environments, being in the ocean, being in the water. It's always been an element that I've like had a deep love for. So my first way into the concern for the environment was just seeing and understanding and hearing about how much kind of uh, we were degrading our the health of our oceans through 
pollution, microplastics, offshore oil drilling, all these different things. So when I started to sort of just think about single-use plastics, I guess, specifically in my own life, they're everywhere and, and they're very hard to sort of break up with, I guess, because, you know, they don't give, be given many options out there to shift our habits. But I was really determined to see how I could lower my use of single-use plastics. And rather than like overhaul my entire home and everything, I ended up deciding to start with just my kitchen because I've always loved to cook and found a lot of joy in that space in my home. So I thought if I start with somewhere where I'm like more invested in and find joy in, I probably will kind of keep that habit up more easily. So I just first looked at sort of the packaging essentially that my food was packaged in and like how I was recycling, upcycling or, you know, dealing with my waste essentially at the end of the day. And that made me kind of choose different products I was buying. It made me be more resourceful with the things I was buying, making sure I didn't overbuy too much, making sure I stored food correctly when I had bought the produce home or when I cooked something, kind of making sure I learn how to sort of store and be, I guess, with all things, it's just being more resourceful and just thinking that little bit before you immediately go to buy something. I think a lot of it is just about slowing down, just kind of deprogrammed, kind of busy, quick, make these decisions, like not really think about their repercussions. So I just found myself, yeah, slowing down with the decisions I made and not only just the food I was maybe bringing into my own home to cook, but even when I was out, you know, could I just give myself five minutes to sit down and drink this cup of coffee and not immediately think I need to get it to go and, and walk and get to the next thing? Like, I think we're we're sort of given that ease that everything is on the go, to go. Um, but sometimes it's even just like a nice moment to give back to yourself, to just sit down a minute and actually have something in that place or space or be like, actually, I don't need that right now. I can just wait till I get home for a glass of water rather than buying a single use plastic bottle of water. I love that because in our day and age, it's so easy. Like we just live in the world of convenience and it's so easy to just mm -hmm. grab this and go and not really think about the ramifications of our choices long-term. You know, it's so easy to like, oh, I'll do this or I'll take this and oh, this is the last time I'll do that or next time I'll do better. So did it have a ripple effect? So you started in your kitchen and then what ended up happening? Yeah, I feel like the minute you start one thing, you're like, you can't not see the interconnectedness of everything, which is obviously like the greatest, biggest lesson that we're all trying to learn and realize that interconnectedness of the cause and effect of what we do. So yeah, I feel like, for instance, if I, as I started in my kitchen, then I started realizing, you know, naturally there is always food waste, whether that's, you know, potato peel or you know, the part of a vegetable you don't eat. And I began to really then be interested in food waste and composting and how that's an incredible way to participate in, you know, positive change. And I'd never really been someone who, like, I grew up in the city. I didn't really have that kind of, like, garden space. Like, it wasn't, you know, gardening, composting was kind of this, like, unknown thing to me that I thought only people out of the city could do. So I first looked up in my city of LA, where I could take it to certain drop-off points. And then slowly, as I kind of grew some confidence in trying to start it myself, I then got my own little kind of barrel that I would like do my compost in. And I've definitely tried all different ways. And it's quite an experimental kind of process. It kind of feels a bit like cooking, composting. So yeah, there's so many ways that you can participate, whether your city has uh, services to allow you to compost somewhere, whether there's local organizations that create drop-off zones, or whether you try it yourself at home. I feel like composting is a bit similar to the joy of just watching a plant grow, just seeing your food decompose and turn back into kind of like nutrient-dense soil is such a cool way to sort of like see that you can create a full circle and a life cycle of something rather than a lot of the things we do we kind of, our relationship to it and our cycle ends at 
kind of the trash can. Yeah. So it allows you to sort of like be participate in the full life cycle of something. Yeah. And I love how, you know, what you're sharing is like, it's really about, uh, taking the first step. And I was just speaking with another friend of mine who's a Vedic meditation teacher, and he did like 3000 hours of Vedic meditation. And his, he actually ended up moving back to his home in Australia to teach 1% of his population meditation. And that was his goal. And he was just like, I just want to teach this 1% because it's going to have this ripple effect. And they actually did studies on it, which I found so interesting because it's just it really is that ripple effect. And I think that being a product of this perfectionist society is fast paced perfection, do everything a hundred percent, don't fuck up, don't make a mistake, or you're doing it wrong, you're not doing it right, or you're not doing enough, essentially. It can, all of that can just be so overwhelming to like not take that first step. And, you know, I think that I love how you said you started in your kitchen because that's what you actually enjoyed. And that's really how we can really start to create those habits. I think is when we pick something we actually enjoy doing or being or engaging with and then maybe like over time it starts to build out in your world in other ways as well so just another question that I had was what's your favorite project that you've worked on with climate change because I know you you work with Greenpeace and there's a lot of really you know I, when I follow you on Instagram I just see you always on these incredible adventures and so I'm just curious what was your favorite project you've worked on yeah yeah yeah, and I think also just continuing on the question we were just on, I feel like it's not just the places that you enjoy, but also the skills you have. I think a lot of people think they need to like redesign themselves to fit like this idea of an activist. But really, we all have skills that we apply to our careers, our friendships, our different things that we can apply those same things we're like good at to the areas we end up like going into. So when it comes to, yeah, like the adventures I've been with the different activism projects and nonprofits, like I'm always coming from it again like I say as a standpoint as a storyteller and like interested in witnessing listening and then using my platform to kind of communicate what I listened and heard and understood in a kind of hopefully communicate it in a way that's engaging and and weave that kind of story is I guess the way that I see my skill set that I bring to the movement. I guess my most recent project is was the most exciting. I just finished filming a documentary TV show that is an extension of Go Gently. It will be kind of similar sort of title. And that was a documentary I filmed for almost a month traveling up the West Coast of the US here, basically meeting a variety of different people working in really mainly community-based sort of groups, organizations around the climate crisis. So whether that's stewarding their specific landscape, whether that's kind of creating education for people who would previously not have access, whether it's um, local indigenous groups that are kind of proposing a marine sanctuary in Morro Bay, like very mixture of different people that me and my co-host Patagonia, Drag Queen Patagonia, did together. And the two of us just had the most incredible time. And that the idea for the show is essentially meeting, trying to meet as many different varieties of kind of personalities and identities and sort of show off that the human species can be great and we can do really good things when we put our kind of love and passion and skills to it. I feel like we've all watched a lot of documentaries that are about, you know, the urgency of the crisis, the reality of, you know, the doom and gloom of the crisis. But we wanted to make something that was really about instilling a confidence and a hope back in human beings to be like, actually, we can do good things if we put our mind to it. So that was a show that, yeah, I guess I had it for about eight months or so in in development. And we filmed that in March and April this year. So is it, when is it going to be out? So I hope it'll be out probably at the beginning of next year, 2024. Um, We made it independently so that we could kind of rather than make it yet with like a streaming network and then 
we're in the post-production now and then we'll sort of sell it to a distributor like a streaming network type of thing. I love that. And so it took you a, a month to film that you're going up and down the coast? Yeah. So it was from LA to Portland was the kind of journey, mainly sort of coastal, some inland stuff, but mainly kind of a coastal road trip meeting like multiple people every day. It was like a, a very adventurous, like on the go um, experience and journey. Do you have any, um, like what was the biggest piece of inspiration that you took from that experience? Like meeting all these different people and yeah. I guess just that people, just how we need to connect with others. I feel like so many of these people could be in these, you know, isolated spaces or environments or maybe came from an isolated experience in their work life or day-to-day life and they really look to the climate movement not just to participate but also to be seen and be heard by other people in their community I feel like it was just lovely to see how much joy that it brought these you know these people's lives and it can bring people's lives I feel like a lot of people when they ask me about like oh what can I do for the the climate I'm like well don't just don't just stop at like your habits like join a group and and be seen in in a community of people because I think you know we can all spiral looking down in the vortex of our phone and see the reality of all these issues and then it takes just like going to hang out with two people and taking ourselves out of it and going to like tangibly participate in something whether that's you know cleaning up a local park whether that's learning more about your local politics and joining kind of some group or whether it's I don't know you love hiking but you don't want to go on your own so you find some hiking group to belong to like I think it's just amazing how much people gain from group activities that we have kind of definitely lost and I think how much people are calling in and wanting to call in to be more in community and be sort of like seen by other people and just how great it is for people's happiness yeah and I think that you know just as I'm listening to you talk it's really it just kind of makes it with the phone and everything. And there's so many opportunities to learn from technology and to educate mm-hmm. ourselves and to research and highlight and underline and share. But it's really that community aspect when we go out and we actually do something together that makes it really inspiring. That's like, okay, we can actually maybe make some change or make some impact or knowing that there's other people out there that are also as passionate about it as you or as me or as whoever it's really it's like that sort of build this energy of like okay it's not just me reading about this sort of but a lot of it from the news and it is it is a crisis so there is this doomsday element to it what I loved about your book especially is you're like but we can actually it's not just like there are going to be positive changes. There are is a possibility to invest in systems that are going to change the world, hopefully, you know. So what would you say to our listeners that out of everything you've been doing in climate activism, what has given you hope um, for the future? Yeah, I feel like it's, I mean, I know it's kind of repeating what I just said, but I think it is generally just like meeting people in person. I mean, I've, I've had, there are so many incredible people that I have found through social media, like the economy of the people that we met on this road trip, I had found through following their work on social media or people that are interviewed in my book, um, I found through that. So I feel like social media, the internet is an incredible way to get that first introduction. But I feel there's nothing more like inspiring than just being with people in person. And especially I feel like I've had the opportunity to meet people from kind of a younger generation who are really at the forefront pushing the kind of climate movement space. And they're just so intelligent, but so like they just seek this transparency, I think, from people that is just so like raw and and cool that they they just don't take they don't take shit from people. They know what people are about. They understand where there's manipulation. And I think it's really sort of exciting. And I think being young can instill that in you when you're kind of had that rebellious streak. But I feel like they're going to keep it within them as a generation. And I think 
that's what we need when we're questioning those in power through politics or corporate structures. Like you need to be able to seek transparency, ask questions, because we deserve it as the citizens, as the consumer. Like we deserve like that full transparency and answers. So I always just love like hearing and watching younger people speak and just how on it they are. And, you know, this is a reality they've been born into from the day they were born. This is a topic that people are talking about. So this is their life and reality. And they're just going and getting stuff done. You know, they're not waiting for permission. They're not waiting for different things. They just truly are like going to get it done. And I think that's great in that sense of and and they're doing that because they're great team players too. You know, they're really great organizers, I would say. So I'm always really inspired by sort of younger generation, which I feel like I guess there's always going to be younger and younger people uh, coming through. Yeah, it's fun just to hear them pass the microphone to them and, and just like, let them speak. And it makes me while I think the change that we see in policy and different things can feel like pulling teeth because it's so slow and it's not linear. It's so like all over the place change within kind of policy and government space. But when I see people like that, I think, okay, I'm just going to have to be like patient for those types of people to get into positions of power. And when they are, it's going to be incredible. So all we can do is like make sure we're like uplifting the right people into those positions of power. And I think as well, you know, the climate movement for so long was very, very stereotypically kind of like skewed towards this kind of like conservation model, or it was very kind of privileged and white, the space. And I think it's become, you know, much more a full reflection of those who are first and most affected currently by the climate crisis, whether that's, you know, more folks from the global south having their kind of seat at the table and their voice heard, but also just you know, Black people of color, Indigenous folks, like they're actually in spaces that I go to are more and more being given the seat at the table that they should be given and not just the seat at the table, but also leadership roles. So I feel like that, you know, sometimes it can feel like we're so backwards (laughs) politically, societally within the world and not just the States, but, you know, from where I'm from in the UK too. Um, But when you go to places and things are being changed and you see the people who are like stood with a microphone, that's changing to me. The person holding the microphone, that identity of that person is changing. And that gives me hope because you don't just feel like you're another person that's, that's kind of perpetuating that sort of problem. So it's been lovely to see that changing just in my life, small, tiny period of time being involved in this movement. I feel like I've seen that change. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's kind of the coolest thing of being alive right now, especially our generation, is to see the tables turning, to see the tides turning and to see so many different types of people taking power, you know, and going and and having their voices heard. And we're actually like at the forefront of seeing that change happen for the first time Mm -hmm. ever, you know, and I think it's so massively inspiring. And I love what you said about the younger generation, because they are not to be, you know, messed with and they're so fierce and so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I love, you know, I think it's so inspiring to see that, I love what you said. They don't ask for permission. They're just like, no, like this is, they're, they're, it's like, who's, you know, the whole concept of like younger versus older, adult versus child. It's like, who's really the adult here and who's really like the child here? Sure, yeah. You know, and it's really. Yeah. And what in life can actually hinder you? Like the more you know, sometimes the worse you can get at something because you bring so much story to like what you're doing or so much like maybe previous kind of failed experiences, you kind of then become a bit more pessimistic. I feel like there's actually, it's cool that it can become more intergenerational Mm. in the same way that those who have been in this for a long time, like to to, to older, to elder people, to to really look at them, whether that's because they're your teacher, whether that's because they're your mentor, different things like that. 
I think it's cool when we're, we're becoming more intergenerationally kind of sharing our knowledge and wisdom and trust, I think is really cool. Yeah. And that's really inspiring because especially, I think people give social media such a bad reputation a lot of, you know, it's bad, this is bad, but really technology is, it's really a tool and it's how we use that. And it's really inspiring to see these younger generations really use their voice and use this as a platform to share about how we can make change and what's the reality of situations. And so I think that we're just in such an amazing time right now. I look to my future where I'm just like, oh, my children or what, what what's going to happen with this? And it feels so you know, sometimes I feel as many people do hopeless about it. And then you take it mm-hmm. to the reality of it. You look through it through a different lens of like, okay, well, what's actually going on? Let me look at various different channels and resources and news. And you just see so much is going on and so much change is happening. Even like, as you said, even if it feels with the policymakers, like it's moving so slow and there is this element of like, okay, let's just be patient. And, you know, I'm like, let's just let the generations kind of do their thing and then like the new wave is going to come in and make some powerful changes as well so yeah and I think it's also that understanding of like deep time you know when you think about change like I feel like you know just seeing things on on a much broader spectrum of time and change like I'm definitely one that likes to see progress in my own life I'm I'm definitely someone who like works hard and have a work ethic but like I want things to be getting done but I also have this undercurrent when I kind of like in tune get in tune back in with that that I'm here you know for a long time and I want it to be great and and I want to sustain sort of my energy which is kind of the same as just how the sort of world works you know we can we can get very frenetic and and worried what's happening in this moment as a news story unfolds or a crisis happens in our own life but then just thinking about how we like use tools to help us sustain to be in it for the long run is such a good way to like I think balance out when it comes to our activism the kind of day-to-day but then with the kind of deep time of change that that does take a while doesn't mean it can't happen but like big radical shifts in our ways like don't happen overnight you know mm-hmm. yeah and what I love about the book Go Gently it's it reminded me when I was reading it, it wasn't, you know, when you try, when you have an argument with someone and you're like, you need to do this and you need to do that. And the best part about your book was just, here's all these suggestions. And that makes it so powerfully inviting. So massively inviting to, you're like, okay, here are the options that I have and I can actually do this and that. And this is going to be a long term, might be small steps now, but it's like, I was, you know, as I was reading through the book, I was like, oh, I can do this and I can do this and I can participate like this and I can take this step. So ultimately just by having that sort of more gentle nourishing invitation to actually make an impact in climate change, we're going to be taking more and more action steps than we realize and starting small. And that leads to a bigger change overall. So I love the book. Um, What is uh, one of the biggest challenges that you faced in your recent years? So it could be around the climate crisis. It could be, you know, personal life, but I think, you know, it's really facing challenges and how we overcome them is just so inspiring to hear from different people, how we face Mm -hmm. challenges and overcome obstacles and various different areas of our lives yeah when you said that question before I was like trying to think because I feel like some things can be small and large and then I did I've never really like thought about it as a challenge because I feel like I wasn't as directly affected by it as some other people across the globe but when I actually think back at how my life began to like shift was was the challenge of essentially the sort of the pandemic, the global pandemic of COVID-19. I had always been someone who a lot of my work has always been in collaborative, you know, situations with people when it comes to like my work in the film industry. And that stopped. And then also what stopped is my ability 
to travel, go home and have the other half of my identity, which is like back home in London and then my family and friends there. And it just really put this kind of, you know, force slowing down into my life that I didn't really realize I needed until it kind of happened. And, you know, I had already had sort of began to think of the concept of my book just a little bit before we kind of all locked down, but it really was that container, the kind of pandemic created allowed me to commit to the focus of really writing a book that I probably maybe could have done, but maybe wouldn't have done in that same kind of container I was given. And I feel like while it was incredibly challenging, not seeing my family for like a year and a half and having, you know, at the time I was living alone. And so there were so many challenges, but I was so amazed at like what in the end came out of it and the container that kind of created for me. And I think the container it created was just this inability to like run away. I think often we can be so busy and we can have that project we always want to do, but then we have a hundred other things we're distracted by. And so it just really made me be able to sit down really with my thoughts and process them and really think about what I was trying to say and kind of redesign my future a little bit. I'd never thought I'd have the confidence to be an author and to sit down to do that and give myself the permission to like write a book. So yeah, I guess it it was a kind of, I had nowhere to go and that was sort of a challenge to me. And so it was a really like reflective time that I'm like pleased that I like pushed through. And in the end, I really had something that I can tangibly hold that was my book. Uh, so much of my work up until then, you know, filmmaking is great, but sometimes, you know, you make a film and it goes somewhere, but you can't like physically hold it. Like the the process of filmmaking is is very physical and, and very showing up in a physical space. But there was something quite cool about creating an object as a book that uh, I found like a lot of joy in. So yeah, that challenge was that kind of container, I guess, that I was placed in. Did you have any, so when you, did you finish the book during COVID? Yeah, I did. So I must've started writing it properly January 2021 was when I started writing it and then it came out yeah April 2022. Okay wow so, did yeah. you have any I mean I love that how you were this you know you were like oh this force like I couldn't I wouldn't really, like I couldn't go anywhere to go and then it's like you went inside and figured out another part of mm-hmm. you which was oh I'm actually this author I was reading um a book I forgot what I think it was um like you are a badass, one of those books, Jen Sincera. And she was just talking about how even after she wrote all of these, you know, books, she still had trouble calling herself an author, identifying as an author, really, you know, putting herself out there. So when you put the book out, did you have any doubts or fears how it would be received, uh, you know, from this angle that you were taking on climate change and environmental activism? Oh, yeah, definitely. And and during the whole process of writing it was, was a massive thing that I feel like every person I speak to who writes their first book is like, that can't not be in the back of your head every day like I'm not good enough this is rubbish what I'm writing sucks like I'm not going to be taken seriously so yeah I think that's just like a the nature of writing and finding your voice and I think to me I guess I really changed too during the writing process like I think my outlook even changed from the pitch that I had and, and pitched to publishing companies to actually what the book became in the end and I think it was a literal kind of as the title literally sort of says it was a kind of going gently on myself. And I think the language I used, I feel like I really try to soften in the language I use because, you know, I think you mentioned it a little bit before, like the book is not prescriptive. I'm not trying to say to people, do this, don't do that. This is a good choice. This is a bad choice. There's just no way we can't, it's not that black and white. There's so much more gray area when it comes to these issues. And what I really wanted to do in the book was to show all the things that I had been drawn to or led to to understand, but allow people to make the choice on their own 
knowing their own lifestyle and themselves more than I can to make that choice of what things they were going to be attracted to when it came to all these issues and how they were going to implement that in their day-to-day life. So for me, I feel like the more I lent into that, that kind of softening of just how I was presenting the information, the more to me it felt I believed in myself as the writer because I wasn't trying to to tell people what to do because I feel like I also don't sit in that space. You know, I'm not I'm not coming from this from like a scientific, you know, perspective like many could writing a book like this. I'm really coming at it from a personal kind of lifestyle perspective. So, I think in those moments where I doubted myself and and even when the book came out, I just had to remind myself that this is a somewhat you know, autobiographical book that's that's about like what I've been interested in. But there's always doubt. I feel like that's just the nature of things. Of when, when you kind of put your work out there, that's what comes with that vulnerability, I guess, just yeah. having to be okay with those moments. And some days you feel it more than others. So yeah. Did you have some sort of process where you, you know, with Benchon, we have so many women that are, they're starting their careers, they're launching something new, or they have this idea, they want to write a book, or they want to launch a project or do something that they've never done before. And I think it's so inspiring to hear from people like you as such a different various level of success to be like, oh, wow, no, actually, I really doubted myself in these moments or I thought this was rubbish or whatever it was. Did you have a process where, as you were doing it, that you didn't let that get in the way of you? Like, did you have a schedule or were you, how were you making sure that it was going to get done? Or was it just that container that you were in that sort of forced you into that? I mean, I think for me, what was so unusual about this project, which was the saving grace of it, was the fact that because I was doing it, you know, you know, under a publishing deal with a publishing company, like it was the first time in a long time I'd really been under these like serious deadlines. You know, I feel like the last time I was under like real serious writing deadlines was when I was in college. So if I hadn't had those deadlines and I hadn't had like an actual, you know, kind of contractual sort of like agreement, I feel like I probably never would have finished or I just would have let myself kind of wallow in these moments of like not feeling like I was enough or hitting a wall with the writing. I think at the beginning, because I had more time stretched in front of me, it was harder because I would like to really sit down and begin to write it, even though I like really heavily planned the whole book, like the chapters were very specifically lined out. Like I really uh, was very grateful for the kind of intense planning I did of the book, but it was really towards the end where it was like, it was just this funny kind of like, well, I don't even, I can't even like wallow in this moment or think like I have to get this done. So I'm either like up all night or it was, yeah. And I feel, you know, obviously sometimes we can't have those deadlines. Like there's been many, many other projects I've done, which have been totally self kind of created. And I definitely learned a lot from the power of those deadlines and have tried to, I guess, in certain ways, take those into other projects since writing that book. Yeah, I think where I struggle sometimes when you're starting a new project and and maybe people feel the same, especially a lot of the time we have multiple things going on, whether that's like even for some people, like a job they do in the day and then their passion project they're doing at night. It's hard to like keep the focus. And I think when I wrote the book, that was the main thing that like I had to create and see how I could allow other things to sort of drop away. I think we're so used to picking up our phone, checking an email, calling someone like there's, there's just so many things that are taking the attention, our attention, that kind of like attention economy idea. So I did really find and have found since writing the book, how important it is for me to just see where my attention kind of runs away and and how that has been super helpful for me to kind of like achieve what I want to achieve and achieve what I'm capable of doing. Obviously, some days <laughs> way easier than others. I don't achieve it every day. I also usually look at days or hours in this like input output idea. So like sometimes when you're 
when you're a creator, you're creating things, you can't be creating mm-hmm. things all the time. You can't be outputting things all the time, I don't think. So if there's an hour or a day where I'm just like, I cannot write or I cannot do things, I have to quickly be like, okay, I'm just going to shift this to an input day and try and read and absorb and go see things or watch a film or go to an exhibition or, or just see it as a day that like nothing is coming out today that's of any use. And like trying to just catch that before I really tear myself apart and, and have it as an input day. And this can not even be a whole day. Like I said, it could just be an hour of like doing it and then coming back to the writing or whatever it could be. I love this concept of like input output because I think that, mm-hmm. you know, we forget how much something, like for me, sometimes I'll read one little thing and it'll just blow my mind open and suddenly I'm mm-hmm. super inspired or I'll go watch a movie. I, I was working on a new uh, course right now for Benjamin and I was really feeling stuck. I was feeling so stuck and I was like, no, you have to just keep going and just keep doing it. And I was like, no, I'm just going to watch something, you know, on TV for like 30 minutes and just whatever. And I was watching this documentary and the first opening scene said something so inspiring. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it just started flooding all this inspiration into me. And I think that especially in this day and age with the pressures and, you know, everybody's doing something and we're all creating and people are doing, 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 am I doing enough? And we just, I love that concept of input day, output day or input hour, output hour. And it's so, Mm -hmm. it gives you so much permission that you have to fill your cup and you also are like, not even have to, but we should, that we find inspiration and we find to refuel ourselves. I just, I'm like freaking out over this concept. I love it. And (laughs) And also sometimes we're doing it both, them both at the same Mm -hmm. time, right? like we're writing an email then we check something and we just scroll and then we input some images online and then we output some words on an email like we're often doing them both at the Mm -hmm. same time so I when I notice myself doing that I'm like okay just one or the other like (laughs) it can't be sometimes both (laughs) I just love this okay you know just for time's sake just to wrap it up but what is one thing that you are excited about for this year and it could be the end of you know until 2023 or the next full year until 2024 uh, yeah, I guess the biggest thing in happening in my life right now is I'm pregnant. So I'm having a baby in like three so and exciting. a half months or something. So yeah, it's just been such a wild experience and just like, just wild how much you learn just in the process of pregnancy, which is obviously just the tip of the iceberg of I'm sure motherhood. So it's just been really cool to just witness to my own self, like the nature of your body, just growing another human is like an amazing thing. I feel like often we always think we have to be the kind of the architect or the controller of our life. But when your body is just like doing things without you telling it to, it's been a really interesting metaphor for just realizing that like nature exists and and does its thing and and, like humans can our nature too and we can like do our thing. So it's been really cool to just witness the changing like self most of the time we're pretty much the same I feel like I have been for 32 years of my life and like you know we have like somewhat control whatever that could be over like how we move and shift and change but this feels like like taking a a side kind of passenger seat uh, which has been fun and yeah just the journey of, of motherhood I'm so excited for and and to kind of pass on the stuff and the passions that I have to them if they like it, if they like to or not, when it comes to stuff around, um, yeah, just being more connected to having a deeper relationship with with nature is sort of what I'm hoping and here to do on this earth. So I feel like being a mother is amazing channel to experience that through. And it's like, we just forget how 
incredible the process of like literally grow a human being in your body Um, I mean I've never experienced it but I have a lot of friends that have um, they're just like you know my cousin she's so funny she actually lives in LA as well and she's probably the most honest mom ever you know she's not like oh my gosh this is so magical and it's so fun she's like this is fucking crazy there's like an arm growing inside of me and I have the worst heartburn I've ever had I know they're just kicking me you know yeah it's Uh, wild yeah so sweet it's just so funny yeah but it's um like I mean it's just the beginning so it's a very amazing practice in like totally being okay with the unknown which I feel like is such a great lesson in life I think especially as like you know just being open to the experience of birth and then motherhood like you really as many books and people you can chat to is great but really you just don't know so that kind of like letting go of that expectation or projection of how it's going to be has been um, a general life lesson that we all kind of want to, to go through. When's the baby? Whether through motherhood or not. What, what Do you know what sign the baby's, when's the baby born? They're like on the cusp, very on the cusp, the love of uh, Virgo and Libra. Well, both of them, those are great. Yeah. But yeah, what's your so sign again? Aquarius. Aquarius. I wonder yeah. if you have any Earth Capricorn or Virgo in you as well yeah because I know know. I mean my moon is Pisces and my rising is Sagittarius a Pisces moon that's where I think maybe the love of water comes from (laughs) I mean I you know it's so funny I'm such a New York City girl and we were just out by the ocean recently and um my friends were like come on in I'm like oh my god shark this that you know like so just (laughs) terrified I've all it's so bizarre since I was a young child I always had a fear of like deep water and it's so interesting because my dad he we grew up on boat you know like he, he, he grew up in Ukraine and they always, you know, the Black Sea. And then they moved to um, Italy where my grandfather was, uh, when they immigrated from Ukraine, they uh, lived in Italy for a little while and they were like little tour guides. So he always loved boats. You know, they had the tiny little boat. And, mm-hmm. but for somehow I got, when I was little, just to show you like how obscene it is, I was afraid of swimming pools because I thought a shark was going to come out of the deep end. <laughs> I sometimes used to when I was a kid, like to make myself swim fast and just like pretend I was being like followed by a shark. I wasn't very good swimmer, so I was like, okay, I'm just being followed by like a shark. I'm gonna swim better. It's funny because I love the ocean, but I have had no interest personally in, for instance, diving. I like find deep sea diving idea like actually quite scary and claustrophobic. Whereas I love yeah. more like shallow coastal ocean and, and surfing and, and being close to the shore. But something about like deep, deep out there in the middle of the ocean does really scare me. Just because the mystery of what we really don't know. It's- like literally, I'm yeah. just like, there's stuff under there that we have not discovered. I don't know if humans should discover it. You know, I don't think we yeah. want to know what's under there. But you, you started surfing in LA, right? Yeah, I liked it a bit when I was a kid, but never properly. And then when I moved here about eight years ago now, I, I was like, that was my one thing I really wanted to to take up since moving here. So yeah, I loved it. Oh, that's all. I've, I did it like once or twice. And I was like, this is not my specialty, but you know, I'd love <laughs> yeah. to try again. But you know, that was not my thing. There's some things we're not like for me, like I've tried skiing and stuff so many times. I'm like, you know what? Skiing is not skiing. It's like, sometimes, yeah, it's good to know things. You're like, I don't have to be good yeah, at this. Exactly. It's okay. <laughs> like, this is, for me, I when I was younger, I loved skiing and I used to go all the time, me and my mom. And um, I don't know what happened. I, I stopped for a while and then I was like, I'm going to start up again. You know, I'm probably, you know, like riding a bike probably. And oh my God, I got on a ski lift and I was like, I'm going to die. This is how it goes. Like just getting off the ski lift was so terrifying because it's moving and people are behind you and watching. 
Well, anyways, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It was such an inspiration. And if you haven't gotten Bonnie's book, Go Gently, you should run to the nearest bookshop and get it. It was such an amazing read. And again, it was so inspiring because it was exactly as Bonnie shared. It's an invitation rather than, you know, you must do this and you must do that. So, and then your movie or your documentary, your documentary series will be out uh, next year. So you can catch that as well. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. If you like this episode, share it with someone else who you think would love it too. And if you want to explore the topics we discuss even further, head over to Benshin.co to check out our current courses, workshops, and upcoming events. And I'll be back next time to discuss more things that I'm so honestly into on Benshin Talks Shit. Mm -hmm.